Last week we looked at the gospel and legacy leaving, and now this morning we're going to be looking at the gospel and the church. And I think all of us would admit that just like there is no perfect family, there are no perfect churches. Because just like within a family unit, that family is made up of sinners. Just like within a church family, the church is made up of sinners as well. We've been saved by grace, but we're still sinners that have fallen short. And every day we have to seek that forgiveness from the Lord so that we can be used as he wants us to be used. A church consultant surveyed members of nearly a thousand churches asking the question, why does the church exist? Of the members surveyed, 89% of those said the church's purpose is to take care of my family's needs as well as my needs. For many, the role of the pastor is simply to keep the sheep that are already in the pen happy and not to lose too many of them. Only 11% said that the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. As your pastor, I will tell you I have the privilege to shepherd you, and I have the responsibility to make sure all of us are being trained and equipped so that we can reach this community for Christ and reach the nations for Christ. This church does not exist so that you and I can come together once a week and sing a few songs and listen to a sermon. The church exists, as we all know, to make disciples who are in turn going to make disciples. The first church understood this. They existed to reach the lost and to equip the believers. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the gospel and the church. And I want us to just realize this morning that the mission of the church, it is not a one-man job. It is a shared work that requires equal commitment. All of us are a team. All of us that are a part of the body of Christ, we are a team that works together so that we can be equipped into disciples so that we in turn can make disciples. As we will see this morning, the Lord has called all of us to a life of total commitment. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 together. Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 together. This is what God's Word says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, 
the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We've looked at this before, but just remember the church is not an organization. The church is an organism. The church is alive. It is living and active. This building is not the church. This building houses the church. It is not the church. You and I are the church. There is the local church, which we are, as Friendship Baptist Church, we represent the, a local body of believers. But there is also the greater church, the greater evangelical church, and that would represent every evangelical Christian on the face of this planet. We are all connected and part of the body of Christ. That means our brothers and sisters that are in North Korea, that are in the Middle East this morning, that are in Asia, that are in North America, South America, and everywhere else. We are connected together. Christ is our head, and we represent the body of Christ. Notice this morning that our first point is this. The gospel transforms us. In verses 1 and 2 again, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable will of God. The gospel transforms us. God's word transforms us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, when we entered into a relationship, we were transformed by them. Once we became believers, we were transformed. We were made righteous by our righteous God. We were made to be in right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we know that verse. It says, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. When we became Christ followers, we became new creation, a new creation. We became new individuals in Christ. In Christ, we've been made into new people who have been given a new life with a new purpose. Because we have been transformed and made into new creations, we have been called to present our bodies as living sacrifices which are holy and acceptable to God. For this is our spiritual act of worship is what we read together this morning. Look at these words to present. These words to present, these are the same words that would have been used in the Old Testament of the priest who would go up to the altar to present a sacrificial offering to the Lord on behalf of the sins of the people. He would take an unblemished living animal and he would sacrifice that animal. And that life's blood from that animal would be poured out and it would provide a temporary covering for one's sins. The blood from that animal would only be able to cover a temporary, um, be a temporary covering. Why? Because a sacrifice had to continually be offered on behalf of the sins of the people. When Jesus became the sacrificial lamb, all other animal sacrifices were null and void. No other animal sacrifice would ever be accepted because Jesus became that covering for us when he became the sacrificial lamb and died on the cross for our sin and shed his blood for us. When that happened, he became the final sacrificial lamb. 
No other animal would be accepted again as a sacrifice. But this scripture this morning does tell us that a sacrifice is still to be brought to the Lord. And that sacrifice is not an unblemished animal. Today, you and I have become that sacrifice. We are not placed on the altar to be slaughtered, but we are placed on the altar because our lives have been consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are His. When we invited the Holy Spirit into our life, we made a commitment at that time that we were going to live lives set apart from this world. We were going to do our best to live holy lives, and we were going to strive for perfection because that's what we've been called to. Now, if you're like me, you still make mistakes every single day, don't you? You still struggle on a daily basis to be the man or the woman or the student or the child that God has created you to be. We read in Romans 12:1 again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Lord does not want some of us. The Lord wants all of us, Stephanie. 24-7, he wants us. He wants our worship. He wants our service. He wants our dedication. He wants our witnesses. We are living sacrifices set apart unto God for good works. The question is this. Do our lives represent living sacrifices consecrated to the Lord? As I was studying and preparing for this message, I came across this, this statement, and it said, the problem with living sacrifices is this. Living sacrifices want to climb down off the altar, don't they? We know that we have been set apart for the Lord. We know that we have been consecrated to the Lord, and that we are to be living sacrifices, living for the Lord, but so often, what do we do? We run from our responsibilities. We hide behind other people, and we let them do the work. We are the church. We are the body of Christ that have been set apart for good works to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a church, we are a body of believers that have been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives have been set apart for the work of the Lord and must be yielded to the Lord for kingdom advancement. So the gospel transforms us as individuals. And as a body of believers, notice next that grace humbles us. Grace humbles us. Verse 3 says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, you and I have been called to live humble lives, not pride-filled lives. The grace of Jesus shows us that this life is not about us. This life is to be lived for Jesus. This life is about Jesus, and we are to glorify God as we live it out. When we live humble lives, we live lives yielded to Jesus. Theologian and pastor John Stott stated, Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. You remember back in the 26 Olympic Games when Michael Phelps squared off against South African Chad LaClose? There had been a rivalry between these two since the conclusion of the 2012 Olympic Games. 
Phelps, who retired after those games, would begin a, couple, a comeback a couple of years later. Upon his return, he commented on how slow the current racers were, which LaClose apparently took as a personal attack. Following the 2015 World Championships, LaClose shot back. He said, Michael Phelps has been talking about how slow the butterfly events have been recently. He went on to say, I just did a time that he hasn't done in four years so he can keep quiet now. The last two time these two faced off against each other, LaClose won that race. Following this statement that he made, translated, that means this, game on. Before the semifinal race, we got a glimpse at just how intense this rivalry was. If you remember watching that race, the network um, showed these two back in the ready room. And it showed Michael Phelps as he sat down in a chair. He was listening to music. And he had one of the most intense looks on his face as I've ever seen an athlete have before. And then right in front of him, LaClose was shadow boxing. Do y'all remember this? I mean, he was shadow boxing. And, and he was obviously clearly trying to get in the head of Michael Phelps. Those two men would square off for the first time in a final since 2012. They were staged right beside each other, setting up for an epic battle. And if you watch that race, an epic battle it was. When the fog cleared, one of those men finished fourth, and the other man finished first. You remember who finished fourth? It was a pride-filled man, wasn't it? The man that was demonstrating humility finished first. Phelps won the, glo- the gold. God's Word describes humility as meekness, as lowliness. It is the absence of self. That is what humility is. Humility is an inward attitude that we are to have. In verse 3, again, we read, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What Paul is saying here is this, in light of God's grace and the Lord's gifts that he has given all of us, think not as pride-filled people, but think as grace-filled people. What Paul is going to do next is he is going to share with this church. He's going to share with them about the gifts that have been given to them. But before he shared those gifts with them, he wants to make sure that those men and women don't allow those gifts to go straight to their head. He wants to make sure that all of them receive the gifts of the Lord with humility. Because because our gifts are given to us not for ourselves, but they're given to us by God the Father so that we can make much of God the Father, not so that we can make much of ourselves. So our final point this morning is this. Christ unites us. Christ unites us. In verses 4 through 8, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The unity we have as a body of believers, it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christ. It comes from God the Father. You and I on our own cannot bring about unity within the church most of the time. But when we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to be our head, then we can see unity in the church. Christ unites us. He takes each of us. He takes our dysfunctional selves. He takes our broken selves. He takes our sin-filled selves. He takes us when we are hurting. He takes those scars that we have, those tears that we have shed. He takes our broken bodies and our selfish lives. He takes us as we are. And when we call out to him for salvation, you know what he does? He allows us to be grafted into his family. He allows us to be grafted into the greater family called the church. And when we become a part of the church, we recognize that Christ is the head and we represent the body of Christ, meaning that we are Christ's hands. We are Christ's arms. We are Christ's feet. We are Christ's legs. We are Christ's mouth. And we have been set apart by Christ so that we can live for him and live in fellowship with one another, as well as to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are one body in Christ, is what we read in verse 5. We are in Christ. We are His, and He is ours. Isn't that good news this morning? You know, I don't know what your relationships are like with your, with your earthly families, you know, when we looked at, at the gospel in my extended family, we, we, we talked about how coming up um, over the next few days, many of us are going to gather around tables. And around that table, there's going to be some dysfunction, isn't there? Some of you are like, yeah, and I'm already looking forward to that. There's going to be some dysfunction around those tables. But you know what? If you're around that table and you represent Jesus Christ, then you can be a a unifying person that seeks to unite one another to each other. You know, we're connected around those tables with blood. But we're connected in this room with the blood of Jesus, right? And so we are told here that we are one body in Christ. Notice what it means to be in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says we receive grace in Christ. Romans 3.24 tells us our redemption is in Christ. Galatians 2.17 says that we are justified in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says we have forgiveness of sins in Christ. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation in Christ. Romans 6.23 says we have eternal life in Christ. Philippians 4.19, God supplies all our needs in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, we have every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ. Colossians 1.28 says we will be presented to God perfect in Christ. And Romans 8.32 says we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. You and I belong to Christ, and no one will ever be able to separate us from Christ's love. Man may try to separate us from Christ. Division may try to separate us from Christ, but nothing can ever separate a believer from Christ because we are united to Christ. We are forever a part of the body of Christ. Um, Last week... We looked at the gospel 
and, and legacy leaving. And if you remember, one of the things that we talked about is this, that, that when, when it comes to leaving a legacy, there's always that first link to the chain, isn't there? That first link represents the person that invested the gospel into us, sowed the gospel into us. That second link of the chain represents us. When we received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were connected to that first link in the chain. And the question that I asked last week was, how many links follow your link? How many links have you allowed to come to be because you invested and sowed the gospel into other people? You've equipped them and you discipled them. How many links come after your link? That's legacy leaving. I think all of us want to leave behind a legacy, don't we? We all want to leave behind. Um, um, we, want, we looked as we closed last week that, that our prayer is this, that we're going to do more than just leave something for our loved ones, but we're going to leave something in them. And when we leave the gospel in them, then there is a good chance that they're going to leave the gospel into other people's lives. And then the links to our chains will go on and on and on long after we pass. Now, this chain this morning, um, I want us to represent something a little bit different. This, this lock right here represents Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Okay? But because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? We are all linked together with Christ. All of us are linked to Christ. All of us are in Christ. So in this chain represents each one of us in this room. And every single one of us are connected to Christ, but we're also connected to one another, aren't we? And we all have to depend upon one another in order for us to be the men and women set apart by God within this local body of believers to reach this community and reach the nation with the gospel, right? And so we are connected. We are linked together. Christ is our head, and we are these links here. So let me ask you this question this morning. When you think about being connected to this church. What is it that you bring to this church? You know, a lot of times when we think about the church, we ask ourselves more of what is the church going to give me? What am I going to get out of the church? Well, the church isn't for us to get something out of. The church is for us to give something Two, for us to make an eternal investment or a, 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 an investment in, isn't it? And so as we continue with our passage this morning, um, we, we see here that, that we belong to Christ. In verses um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, we read, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. We belong to Christ, and as his, there are great benefits that come with this relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6 of our focal passage, we are told that we have received gifts. Within this fellowship, not all of us are gifted the same, but we have this promise that all of us are gifted. Within this fellowship, all of us have at least one gift, 
Some have more than one gift, but there is no one here that is giftless. All of us have gift. Our spiritual gifts enable us to serve the body and to serve within the body and to serve those outside of the body of Christ. Paul, within our focal passage, mentioned seven spiritual gifts. These are not all of the spiritual gifts in God's Word. Okay, These would be more um, of, of the kind of gifts that we would say are gifts of ministry. Many of you in this room have these gifts. I, would, I know that at least all of these gifts are represented. And probably within us, we all have at least, a, 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 I would say, one of these gifts. I could be wrong, but I would say all of us at least have one of these gifts. Notice these gifts as they have been broken um, out by Paul. He, rep, he, he recognizes the first gift as prophecy. This gift is this, the ability to speak the authoritative truth of God. Some of you have that gift. Next gift is the gift of serving. The Greek word here is diakonia. And it is from this word that we get the word deacon. The person with the gift of service is one who usually likes to work behind the scenes, right? I know that many of you have the gift of service. There's also the gift of teaching. Teachers have the ability to take God's word, to explain it clearly, and to provide life applications for those that they teach. Some of you in this room have that gift. Some of you have that gift of teaching, but you are not yet utilizing that gift of teaching. Just like some of you have the gift of prophecy, but you're not utilizing it. Some of you have the gift of service, but you are not utilizing it within the body of Christ. There's also the gift of exhortation, which is the gift of encouragement. Some of you in this room, man, you are incredible encouragers. Man, you come up to me all the time, and you say, man, thank you for what you do. That is a gift of encouragement. When you see somebody down, you go up to them, and, and, and you really try to breathe life into them, don't you? You try to pick them up as they are down, for whatever the reason might be. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of contributing or giving. All have been called to give, but some give all, don't they? Generosity is part of their DNA. When they see a need, they help meet that need. Then there's a gift of leadership. This word means to stand in front of a group. Some people are leaders, and some people are followers. Many of you are leaders, but you right now are more of a follower because you're not using your God-given gifts. The final one here is acts of mercy. The person with the gift of mercy reaches out to the hurting and shows them the love of Christ. I and mean, they act kind of like a hospital, don't they? Some of you have that gift of mercy. These are just a few of the gifts. Each of those gifts are represented in this room this morning, as well as other God-given gifts as well. The question is, are we using the gifts God has given us to make disciples? Are you using your God-given gifts to reach the lost? If not, why not? You know, D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist, preacher, theologian, writer, a great man of God, once shared these words. He said, a great many people have a false idea about the church. They have the idea that the church is a place to rest, a place to get into a nice cushioned pew, 
a place to contribute to the charities, a place to listen to the minister, a place to do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy. That is all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters their mind. The church needs to enter our mind. The work of the church needs to enter our mind. The loss need to enter our mind. The need to make disciples needs to enter our mind. Our brothers and sisters that make up this faith family need to enter our mind. Folks, we are not a perfect church because we are not perfect people. But we certainly can seek to be a healthy church as we seek to be healthy Christians. Christ followers that are committed to growing and walking with the Lord and leading others to do the same. Healthy Christians make healthy churches. Are you a healthy Christian this morning? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? Are you studying God's word? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Are you praying? Praying not only for your own personal strength, but for your church as well. Are you doing what you can to be equipped so that you can equip others? Healthy Christians make healthy churches. Here's the deal. Christ will always be the head of the church. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will always be linked to Christ. And as long as we are a part of Friendship Baptist Church or another local body of believers, we will be connected one to another. And if we are connected to one, one to another, what, what is it that we hope for in that? Man, we hope for the best in all of us, right? Man, our prayer is that every single one of us would walk with the Lord. Our prayer is that the Lord Jesus Christ will use us as the body, as his hands and feet, so that we can reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we today um, are a church that are, we are... um, We've got a lot of, it's, it's, it's crazy. I've been here now for about five years. And right now within our fellowship, we've got some sick families here, don't we? We've got some men and women in our church family right now that, that man, they're fighting. Man, they're sick, physically sick. They're emotionally sick. Some are, are spiritually struggling. Some are um, emotionally struggling. Some are, are struggling within relationships, family relationships. Man, we are not a perfect people, but we serve a perfect God. And as long as we are linked together, then guess what? There is strength in that. Bible says that where two or three are gathered, Jesus Christ is right in our midst. We have that promise that Jesus is here in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our hurting. The Lord Jesus Christ is present. It's good news this morning. Regardless of what you're going through this morning, regardless of the struggles that you might be experiencing this morning, that is good news because we serve a good God. You know, this morning as we conclude, you may be here this morning 
and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you're like, um, you're, you're not connected to Christ, nor are you connected to other people because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. If you're here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while and the Lord is leading you to become a part of this local body of believers. And we'd love for you to do that. This morning, you may need to, during this time of invitation, you may need to come to this altar and pray. You may need to, to seek out somebody else in this fellowship to pray with and to pray for this morning. I don't know what decision you need to make or what you need to do, but let's stand together and I want to lead us in prayer. And then after I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, as a body of believers, as a local body of believers, and as the greater body of believers that represents the church. We thank you, Christ, for being our head. We thank you for being our leader. We thank you for breathing life into us at the moment of our salvation. We thank you that we are connected to you. And Father, because we are connected to you, we are connected to one another. And Father, because we are connected to one another, when one of us hurts, we all need to hurt. When one rejoices, we all need to rejoice. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one experiences a victory, we all experience a victory. When one person is added to the kingdom of heaven because of the work that is done out of this church, then all of us celebrate that. Father, I pray now that as we conclude our time together, that if there is someone here that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray this morning that they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, that being that they would repent of their sins and cry out to you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. I also pray, Father, this morning that if there's someone here, Lord, that you're leading to become a part of this fellowship, that they will come. Father, if there's someone here this morning that you have impressed upon another person's heart to go and pray with and pray for during this time of invitation, I pray that we'll do that. If we need to come and kneel at this altar, that that will be done as well. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.